This is Ralph Nader, and you're listening to Radio Powered by the People, KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, and across the globe at kpfk.org. Good afternoon, my friends. Good afternoon, friends and listeners. <coughs> that little froggy is still in my throat. My goodness. This is Jim Lafferty, along with my co-host, Maria Hall, and I'm welcoming you to this week's edition, of course, of the Lawyers Guild Show. Hi, Maria. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Well, and I know you're very busy, right. so if you're still great, that's a good sign. <laughs> Let our listeners know what they what we have in store for them today. Okay, great. Well, we have another great show today. First, we'll be speaking with animal and human advocate, attorney Deanna Prado of Hard LA, who will update us on the status of how Los Angeles is dealing with the end of COVID era eviction protections to keep renters and pets in their homes. Then we'll speak with John Parker, a political activist, candidate for Congress, about his recent arrest and detention in Egypt for trying to bring humanitarian aid into Gaza. Sounds good to me. I, I, I know, of course, the show, what the show was going to be, and I was, I was pleased as we were putting it together. I think we both learned more even putting it together. So, friends, if you, if you stay tuned, I think you'll learn a bit too. Go ahead, Maria. Let's start off on that first topic. All right, let's talk about one of my favorite subjects, housing law. Mm -hmm. Well, back in March 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns hit, the state and federal governments were scrambling to try to keep renters inside their homes, even if they couldn't afford to pay rent. Most evictions were temporarily halted while the medical community grappled with getting the virus under control. There was even a temporary law in the city and county of Los Angeles that tenants could not be evicted for having a pet in their homes during the pandemic, which had the benefit of lowering the population of dogs and cats in animal shelters. So that was even if it wasn't allowed per your lease agreement. So some state and local governments, including California and Los Angeles, offered financial assistance for both renters and landlords who complied with sometimes confusing instructions which again was designed to alleviate some of that potential flood of evictions. But so by last year, most of these temporary eviction protections have expired and starting tomorrow in the city of Los Angeles, tenants will be back on the hook for paying back that COVID <coughs> rental debt. The powers that be are scrambling again to prevent that flood of evictions as a result, but the apartment associations around California have been aggressively fighting to put an end to any help for tenants, which they claim comes at the expense of landlords. Well, thanks to tireless work by activists like our next guest, some of the protections that we at least had in L.A. have become permanent. Our guest is attorney Deanna Prado founder and executive director of Housing Equity and Resource Team, also known as HART, a legal nonprofit that helps ensure people and their pets remain housed. Before that, Deanna worked full-time defending tenants from eviction in court. She's also a consultant for the Stay Housed LA Eviction Defense Program and teaches LA Housing Law and Policy at UCLA Law School. Deanna Prado, welcome to the Lawyers Guild Show. Hi, so I'm like so happy to be back. I always enjoyed being able to hang with you, Maria. Yes, I love, I always love interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Deanna, when the pandemic hit, you and Hard LA, along with many other tenant ad activists, really fearless activists, leapt into action to convince the city and county of Los Angeles to put a hold on evictions. And you particularly were involved with making sure that people with pets wouldn't get evicted. 
Talk about why you decided to focus your efforts on keeping people with pets housed. And who else was part of this coalition to help bring about such a great result? Um, so I'm like, well, I'm like, I've focused on people and pets because that is what I'm like, that is what Heart LA does. Heart LA was founded specifically to be able to help tenants with pets because it's so hard to find housing, let alone housing with your pet. And when the pandemic hit, uh, it was what came to top of mind was the fact that while there was going to be rental protections because people couldn't go out to work, perhaps, um, that there was going to be uh, opportunity for landlords to take advantage of any type of other way to evict tenants. And um, I just knew, given my experience with how landlords normally um, use opportunities like Thanksgiving or Christmas when they know when legal aids are closed or um, those moments when people are the most vulnerable to evict, that this was going to be one of those times. And I just was like, we don't have the, like, we are still very small, but we are still really small, small. I'm the wonderful, amazing staff of Heart LA, like shout out. Uh, um, But that like, there was just like, there was no way that tenants should be facing a bunch of three day notices to get rid of their pet in the time of a pandemic, let alone at any time particularly at this time. And it was, um, you know, and looking back in, um, like in preparing for this, you're like, what? I'm like, and also just talking and seeing how this ordinance came to birth. Um, there was a collective, we called ourselves the Healthy LA Collective, um, really. And then that's changed into Keep LA Housed um, groups and different, but the Healthy LA Collective was a network of, it was over 2,000 advocacy organizations. It was work centers, labor unions, service providers, religious congregations, community groups, um, public interest lawyers, public health and stuff. It was just like a crew of us that really all banded together in this time, which was, you know, one of my, while the pandemic was awful, right, continues to be. And the effects are, um, you know, and even talking about, I know one of, we're going to be touching on rental assistance a little bit later. Um, But even in that effect, right, like it's like the, the atrocities of what had already occurred before the pandemic and that were shined even brighter during the pandemic came to light. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, that was a long topic of why, oh, pets and, pets and housing. So it was <sighs> just like to, throw, to be able to like be like, let's protect them. Yeah. Let's make sure that unauthorized occupants and pets are going to be protected. And, 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 and for the health of the pets, but also for the health of people who were lonely in their places often, uh, under great stress because of job loss and all the rest. Uh, I, I know I have a number of friends who, having pets, maybe in some cases for the first time uh, during the pandemic, uh, was of great relief and comfort to them. And, of course, as you pointed out, or Maria did, it saved a lot of pets from extinction as well because, uh, you know, what happens when people abandon pets? Well, um, but I wondered, and now, now that the pandemic uh, eviction protections have ended, and we could argue about whether they should have yet, since I'm not sure we're out of the pandemic yet, but now that it's officially, quote-unquote, ended, do people with pets in the city of and the county of L.A. Uh, now start need to start worrying again about eviction if their lease doesn't allow pets? I'm like, I'm so glad you asked, Jim. So in the city of L.A., and really, you know, shout out to a champion of this motion was, which was um, council person, Mrs. Hernandez, who really, yeah, was part of the efforts of that. I'm like, so thank you. Um, I'm like, I'm always appreciative of Kenneth Mejia bringing light to these issues um, as well. I'm like, thank you to the controller telling us where our money is going and being transparent. Mm-hmm. Point being that, uh, you know, just those, just those small things yeah, in government. No, no, no. That's the, you know, the, the smallness. Um, the, the, in the city of LA, the emergency protections that stated that you could not be evicted for a pet that was obtained during COVID up through January 31st, 2023. Uh-huh. So if you got a pet, because apparently COVID ended in the city of LA January 31st, 2023 <laughs> of last year um, for pets. Because anyone thereafter, then like you were just getting your pet because I don't know what, because I guess it wanted to bring you everlasting joy mm-hmm. because you're not a monster. Right. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, um, you cannot be evicted for your pets. The ordinance that has been vote that was voted on last week that had been um, the in December. This the city council was like, "Hey, city attorney, draft an ordinance." The city attorney came back last week with a drafted ordinance 
And that ordinance, um, essentially, it's like, you know, almost saying grandfather's in everyone that obtained a pet during um, COVID up Mm -hmm. through January 31st, 2023. They need to notify if they hadn't notified for some reason or the landlord wasn't made aware. You know, the recommendation is to notify your landlord. And then so then talking about the county, the county of L.A. doesn't have such a protection. And we actually saw a huge spike last year in March. Um, and county-related um, threatening of evictions. Um, and I will say this. There's a there's a, a, a number of protections for runners with pets. Like, why hard do I exist? Um, even if, let's say, you obtained your pet after January 31st or you're in the county or you're in the state of California or even national, but we're talking about now Los Angeles and Los Angeles County, your pet could possibly be a support animal, number one. And if it's a support animal, then it is because you are a person with a disability and you need your pet to alleviate symptoms of your disability. This is just like a quick little thing. Your animal can also, you could have had your pet. Let's say you obtained your pet, you know, after January 31st, 2023, or even after COVID, that you'd have your pet. Like in the county, we had a lot of tenants that reached out to us that landlords tried to threaten them for having their pet, but they'd had their pet now for quite some time, even before COVID, but they were just using this as like a pretext, right? So maybe... um uh, there's those protections of what we call the legal world waiver of acceptance of rent with knowledge of the pet. And uh, yes, so there's those protections still. Okay, that's good. Yes, that yeah. is. It was music to my ears to hear or to read, I guess, the um, that city of LA that you and the great coalition that you're working with that that, that got passed. That was really yeah. great. Um, okay, so so I understand that tomorrow, February 1st, is an important deadline. It has been on the mainstream news. Um, Mayor Bass has been out trying to spread, you know, know your rights information for tenants. Um, it's the date when renters are supposed to have paid back all that COVID-era rental debt, the rent that was deferred. So can you tell us what will happen if tenants haven't yet paid back all of that rent um, by tomorrow? Will they get sued in civil court? Can they be evicted or both? What can people expect? Uh, so sadly, rent is due. And if they can't pay their rent, they can be evicted for that rent. Uh, at a moment in time, they could also have been taken a small claims. I'm like, before I'm like, I'm like before I come on, I did try to like figure out, I'm like, can you get both? My like, just common sense would be like, no, small claims would be different than the eviction, right? Going after the damages in both doesn't seem like that'd be like just. Uh, but I knew that even in some cases, you know, they, they could go after small claims, but the bummer about it is that people are going to be evicted and um, are, we're acting as though COVID didn't happen by going back to how things were before. And we had four years of our lives that were impacted, right? All at different degrees. And so to go back to how things were before is so, it's like, right? It's like having your body undergo some, like an entire surgery and then just be like, go back in the ocean. Like you can't do that. Like, no, the doctor's like, don't, no, no, don't do that. What do you mean you can't do the things you did before? So it happened. We all had like a, the entire world had <laughs> that pandemic, we called it. And we're acting as if we're going back. Um, and sadly, it is. It is. It's the same old. And I've bumped friends like, what are, you know, it's like, yeah, pre-pandemic days. What defenses do we have? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's defending those evictions again. And and then what I also just say to all unlawful retainer attorneys and I do think we're like the housing defenders of like the public defenders of the housing world is if everyone goes to trial, <laughs> not every courtroom could be filled. It was kind of like almost during rent strike times, right? Or like even in the beginning of the pandemic when it was like, if not everyone pays rent, they're not going to take you all to court. And really that can was just kicked down, right? Is that, is that the saying when you just kick the can down the road? The road's here. Road ended. <laughs> yeah, well. Road's over. Yeah, the the problem is, and I'm going to rant here for 30 seconds, <coughs> and I know you <coughs> share my feelings, <coughs> by goodness, and that is very simply, when this was all unfolding, it was clear, I'm sure it was clear to Diana, I know it was to Maria and myself and everybody else I knew, the idea that you could for, uh, stay the payment of rent 
during the pandemic. That was a good thing because otherwise you'd have had God knows how many people more on the streets of L.A. But the notion that, that once that official pandemic is over, that you now all you owe all of your back rent <laughs> when when many people couldn't pay their rent on a monthly basis, now they owe what a couple of years of back rent. Uh, it's 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 of course insane. It just kicked down the road the misery the misery that so many tenants are now going to face. And Diane, I know that the federal government has uh, uh, been talking about it. Apparently, there's been some government money money that has been paid uh, you know for for tenants' rent who can't afford it. But uh, but these rental assistance programs, uh, how have they been working out? Is it enough to, to abate the problem I've just talked about, that we're going to find all sorts of people who can't possibly pay all their back rent? No. Well, my answer to that is simply no. Yeah. No. It, 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 it hasn't. And that's the, you know, that's why this rent, I'm like, well, you know, should have, would have, could have in terms of canceling. But it is. It's exactly that. It's... Um, the, and the rental assistance programs, no, aren't enough, which is wild because we bailed out the banks in 2008. Not like, we, like yeah, we, we really did. They were like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen if we don't have banks? We're going to implode. And now we're like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen if people don't have homes? They're like, well, I guess they should have planned better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because as long ridiculous. as we continue making, yeah, housing a business and housing is a commodity, then we aren't getting anywhere. But that's like we can't. You know, a, a lot of the times, you know, I'm like the Cart LA. I've been asked before. I've been asked before of Heart LA assist landlords, and we don't, and we don't, and I unapologetically don't, and I'll explain why. Maria's like, oh dear God, no, because it, there's already an imbalance of power, yeah. right? And to also believe that property is something that can be bought or sold, land, land can be bought or sold is hilarious. It's a hilarity. It's a, it's a, and like you're going to make a profit over that, a profit over putting a roof over somebody's head? No, exactly. absolutely not. Exactly. And so we can work together to achieve the fact that, I mean, it, and it's part of like, I'm like, it's part of our human rights. It's so wild. It's so wild and hilarious. But, and so until then, we just, we don't, there's already an imbalance of power. And it's wild to think that we, there isn't enough money to give every single person that's facing a non payment of rent eviction throughout the entire nation money to pay that eviction and essentially bail out landlords then fine then like do that we've already bailed out the banks i mean what's work i mean it's the same it's the same we've banked and out, I, we've, and bailed, I, and I, we've bailed i'm sorry that we've bailed out the car companies we've bailed out uh, cities like new york we've bailed out more co- corporations than i have time to recite on this show it it explains <laughs> to the people who have their eyes and ears open what this country really is about and it isn't the poor worker it's the person who's already rich, the landlord, the owner of Ford Motor Company, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, no there's also a business here. in evicting people. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes. No. Um, yeah. And, and I did want to add, well, there's so much we could add, but I'll, I'll stick to the uh, topic. We, we should have had you for the whole hour next time. Um, so what are some of the other tenant protections that are kind of surviving and some of the newer ones that have come out because I know there was there were some problems with the rental assistance where people actually did all of the right things followed all the instructions to get rental assistance but then it took forever to process and it might be taking even longer than by tomorrow to process so basically the tenants have been promised that they'll get the money to pay, but they're going to miss tomorrow's deadline. Um, maybe talk about that a little bit and any other protections that you wanted to give a shout out to. Yeah, if the tenant can prove and verify that they've been approved for the program and protections that existed for that or still exist to that extent, you know, has it have landlords still skirted that and filed an eviction even though they know that the tenants verified? Yeah, they did that during the pandemic. I'm sure they'll still do it now, possibly. I'm like, maybe not. I'm like, I don't know. Prove me wrong. Prove me. You know, I don't want to be right all the time. <laughs> truly, I don't, I'm I'm good. Uh, and uh, like I said, in the city of LA, at least for folks with uh, pets, um, sadly, rent increases in the city of LA begin again. Rent increases had already begun in the state. There are state protections. There was a source of income discrimination bill that was passed, so you couldn't. So we can kind of tag team the fact that they aren't accepting rental assistance 
as part of that. And in jury trials, at least recently, the recent L.A. or not, I don't know if recent, but, you know, as of two years ago or a year and a half, the L.A. tenant harassment ordinance has been used in a jury trial and been successful. So to the extent that, um, you know, some protections have been passed to continue to protect tenants, that's that's great. I think the best advice I would give is, um, like, oh my goodness, don't give up. No, no, truly, that there is, there is a, you know, when there's a will and there's a way, and is that hard to hear when all other of life is occurring? Yes. Um, and also, though, I mean, that's what I always tell attorneys. Like, don't say that there's not a defense. There's always something, something. Even if it's just at the end of the day, the judge is terrible to you and the jury just likes you better because the judge is so awful. That's like, right. We vote for the tenant. We vote. We vote tenant. You know, I mean, I've had that happen before. You just never. And so just go for it because there's nothing. There isn't housing Moving isn't easy. First of all, how about if it's an undocumented person that has no credit history that doesn't be can't be able to show so credit history? How about if you don't have fifty dollars to pay for applications and then like one hundred and fifty for the or a security deposit can still be twice the amount of rent and rent is like it's wild. So no, even if you know you've it's it, anyway, it's it's just not easy to move. How do you like even moving? Remember like moving. Yeah. Like, and like, either like have to get movers or not. Oh my gosh. I remember when I was old enough to get movers, I felt so adult that day. <laughs> I was like, wow, I've grown up. I have movers moving my, cause I was so used to like trying to like strangle up friends all being hung over moving ourselves or some, something. My goodness. Well, really? well, as you also know though, Diane, I'm trying to be positive here. It's a, when it yes. comes, when it's always tough when you're dealing with this issue because as we, we we live in a society where where renters are not first on the minds of government, but uh, they they should be if they were voting properly. But anyway, um, there's a ballot initiative on the November ballot. I think it's called Justice for Renters Act. Uh, I wonder if you could explain to our listeners what if it passes the should it pass in your mind, and if so, uh, what what rights, uh, what opportunities for tenants to uh, have a somewhat easier life would it provide? Yeah, I mean, the main thing that it's going to do is it's going to eliminate the statewide ban on rent control, meaning that cities oh. are going to be able, it doesn't matter if your building was built, um, you know, after this time or this. Right now, it's like, if you were, if you do two plus five minus 275, then no, if you're protected, you have to like guess. It's not. It's like, it, you know, in the city of LA, a building before 1978, two or more units. In Costa Hawkins, it's about from 1990, 15 years back. Um, mm -hmm. And then Costa Arkansas in 1995. Point being, it bans that. And what that's going to help do is be able to protect tenants from skyrocketing rents. Good. And it's just one It's just one small protection and one small ex step towards recognizing that housing is a right. That's a big that one. Housing I think is a right. That's a big that in, one. Yeah. yeah no, and that's in, a big one. Yes. Yeah, no, no. And in order to be able to, you know, we can't. We can't continue to evict people and think that we're going to fix a homelessness problem. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. I mean, we can't, we can't like you, we, we, you can't that. No, no, that can't, that can't happen. So, and it's, you know, it's going to be up against huge lobbying where there's like a lot of money where like somehow some doctor's going to be like, this is terrible and it's going to cause something. And you're like, <laughs> how did they even get this big doctor to do this? <laughs> so it's just really right. It's like, that's what, so it's really just banding together, and I think one of the ways that you can help is why not like vote, share with friends, and tell them what is the what's going on, and um, so, yeah. So vote yes, you vote yes for the Justice for Renters Act by all means. Don't let yes. anybody fool you; it uh, can't hurt you, and it could really help and oh, tens of thousands of people. Yes, and yeah, another uh, part of that. It's not that it imposes rent control no, no, on no. any particular city. Is that right, Diana? It's it's more that it gives the local governments the option and more tools. Yes, that, that is all that it does. It's not forcing anyone to do anything of any kind. It's like, you know, allowing choice. Imagine that. 
<laughs> no, it allows. I'll stop, I'll stop there. It, I like it. <laughs> it allows a city or a county, whatever, to to simply yes. do what they can't do now, and that is pass rent control laws for buildings built yesterday, if they want to, or a year ago, or whatever. Okay, yeah. thank you for that. Let's I'd say yes for yeah. Renters Act. Yes. yes. And also, so there are, we are running out of time, unfortunately, but there are still a couple more questions we need to hit, which is one, what are the resources if people did just get a notice or they, they're expecting a notice? Um, what resources are there for people to get legal help? And then the other parallel uh, question would be, how can people go about getting in on the the efforts to strengthen our laws and protect tenants yeah so if someone gets a notice if they go on the stayhousedla.org website they can sign up for a workshop and hopefully see if somebody is able to assist them with that notice i mean just real quick like what does that notice say if it's for rent um you know again on the stayhousedla website there is uh question about, you know, being able to assist with rental assistance or depending where you are, right? If you're in the county, then perhaps there could be, you know, the, um, the Department of Consumer and Business Affairs, the Housing Department for LA City to see if there's, you know, assistance for rental assistance there to get um, help. If they receive a notice about their pet and being evicted because of their pet, reach out to heartla.org. Heartla.org, there is like a little button where you can be like, get legal help. And then um, one of the amazing team of heart will reach out to you and um, make sure that you get the assistance. And I think the other thing to just know is don't move. Don't panic and move because a sheriff isn't going to come out and evict you. Even if that notice expires, don't panic and move. Do as best as you can and take three deep breaths and know and believe that, you know, this could, this could, something could be done. Right. Um, but in the city and county of L.A., it would be stayhousela.org. If it's for a pet related reason, please feel free to reach out to heartla.org um, and to get involved, you know, sign up for your local tenants union. Uh, and also on stayhousela.org, you can find your local constituent. Who is your city council member? Who is your supervisor? County and go through each one. Assembly member, congressperson. Did we lose the girls? Same old. Well, I think we're losing. Well, that's good. We ran out of time just at the right time, I guess, if we've lost Diane. Diane, are you still there? I'm still here. Oh, I okay. think perhaps the <laughs> connection. Okay. All right. And, uh, and so they can learn more about Heart LA. Is it just heartla.org or what is it? Give us that. That's name. right. Heartla.org. So that's a good H -E -A -R -T place. H-E-A-R-T-L-A.org. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's about your pet, whether it's about... Anything having to do with eviction, for that matter, whether it's the, the fact that now they're coming after you for all that back rent, and for God's sakes, of course, who could pay it? I couldn't pay a couple of years of back rent if my life depended on it. So there's a, there's a way to try to get some relief and not let them walk all over you because there have been some good changes in the law and, and on some of the other issues you just need with all the legal support and moral support you can get, and that's why you should call Heart LA or heartla.org. And you'll learn all sorts of things you can do to help yourself and do them. You're doing them for yourself. You're doing, of course, for your family. But you're doing it for the whole community. You're doing it for the neighborhood. Uh, I think, Diane, you mentioned earlier, if everybody was to refuse to pay their rent, went on a big general rent strike in L.A. And it's kind of because of this ridiculous situation of suspending the rents and then expecting somebody to pay them all uh, as soon as uh, somebody arbitrarily lifts the band on not being able to evict people for not paying rent. Uh, my goodness, uh, they, might, they might figure out how to do something. They might find the same kind of billions they have found for corporate America for working class America. Wouldn't that be something? So uh, stand up for your rights, as we always say here on the Lawyers Guild Show. And in doing so, you stand up for the rights of your neighbors, too. And find out what your neighbors are doing and find out if there is a, you know, a neighborhood counselor, a neighborhood group uh, of tenants' rights organizations. Uh, and Hard LA can tell you about that, too. Well, okay, I think we we are now, sadly. Um, Diane, it's been wonderful. It's been too long since we've had you on talking about these issues. Um, uh, uh, Maria, perhaps you'd like to say goodbye to Diane with any last thoughts you have, and then we'll move along. 
Yes, of course. Thank you, Diana. We always love having you on. And of course, stayhousedla.org, um, hardla.org. And there are amazing activists and advocates. Maybe you'd want to just say one last word about that, about the really the wonderful people we have in Los Angeles and California. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's my, they're fantastic. They're great. It's social justice warriors and um, proud and to be part of the crew. Oh, you sure are. And you've done some great work over the years as do the organizations you've been mentioning. And we thank you so much for being with us here on the Lawyers Guild Show today. And friends, don't go away. Listeners, don't go away. We're going to have a very brief station ID break, and we'll be right back with you here on the Lawyers Guild Show. I'm John Santana. Next time on Cinema Score, music by Bernard Herman, with my guest, composer Graham Ravel. Herman, for me, is the, the missing link, if you like, in the evolutionary chain of film composing, from the uh, much more classical style of Nicholas Rosa and you know, Stravinsky before that. Herman is, is, is very modern. Sunday evening at 5, here on KPFK 90.7. Well, and we are right back as promised. Uh, I'm Jim Lafferty, along with my co-host, Maria Hall, and we co-host, co-host, <laughs> we co-host every week the Lawyers Guild Show. And uh, and now in this last half hour that's going to show, our attention is going to turn to some um, other political matters of importance, both international and local. So uh, let's get going with that. Um, we talk with John Parker. And now John is a political activist, and he's also happens to be running for Congress at the moment in the 37th Congressional District. Um, we're going to talk to John about his arrest and his detention in Egypt. Why? Well, Mr. Parker was part of the Global Conscience Convoy, which was initiated by the Egyptian Syndicate of Journalists, designed to bring humanitarian aid into Gaza and we all know how desperately, desperately that aid is needed. Aid intended to help relieve the horrific suffering, a consequence, of course, of Israel's unrelenting, disproportionate, and really genocidal military campaign. Now, Mr. Parker is uh, employed as the coordinator of the Harriet Tubman Center for Social Justice in Los Angeles. He is also a very active member of Let LA Cuba Live Coalition, and a longtime activist in Los Angeles on behalf of peace and social and economic justice movements. In fact, I should probably mention that uh, I worked closely with John some years back on behalf of freeing the United States political prisoner, Mumia Abu-Jamal. John Parker, a warm welcome to the Lawyers Guild Show. Oh dear, is John there? Oh dear. <laughs> well, I uh, ah, that's the beauty of live. I sent the number along, but not to you. I sent it to Maria. Maria, if you have that number handy, or you can yes. look at it. If you do, you can just uh, send it in to uh, to our wonderful person in master control. Yes, we'll do. We'll do that. We'll have John Parker in the phone with us right away, folks. So don't worry about that. Um, I should have sent it to our, our, our engineer as well. Uh, and I rely too much on Maria, who is who I rely on too much all the time. Anyway, uh, because I'm getting old and lazy, and I uh, shame on me. But so, but we'll have that all corrected in a minute or so. Uh, D'Angelo Jones and Massachusetts watching for that to come in, watching for that to come in. Uh, dear, yeah, and we do have our guests are often on Zoom as well with Maria, sometimes myself, but generally with them. So that allows them to see each other and as they're conducting the show because it's hard for everybody to get to the station now. So we're often spread out in different locations as we uh, as we do this work day in and day out. I, think, I guess that's one of the effects of the pandemic in the same way that less and less people are going to offices. Uh, less and less programmers are coming to the station. I like to come to the station, so I'm here every week. Um, anyway, but uh, as a few of us are, but uh, that, it's, it's part of the reason why we're having this little, you know, 30-second or one-minute now delay. Ah, hey, thumbs up. Is he on the air with us now? All right, John Parker, are you there, my friend? Yes, I'm here. Well, 
I introduced you. You may not have heard it, but I did. And, uh, and so that's good. We lost very little time on that. Now, John, uh, how did it happen that you were recently arrested and detained, I think for at least 37 hours, by the Egyptian authorities? What, what were you doing there or hoping to do there that brought about your arrested detention? I mean, were others arrested with you? Uh, and for what reasons did the Egyptian authorities claim they were arresting and detaining you? Yeah, it's a very interesting and exciting and a little bit scary sure. experience. Uh, it, it, can you hear me okay? Oh, we hear you loud and clear, John. Go ahead. Oh, clear. oh good. All right. Uh, yeah, um, we're, uh, I was arrested with uh, someone from France, someone from Australia, another person from Argentina. Four of us were arrested. Um, we were there in Egypt in the first place to, to be a part of the World Conscious Convoy which was trying to get aid, humanitarian aid, into Gaza. Mm -hmm. um, but the Israeli and uh, Egypt would not allow uh, a permit to get into, to go there, to do a convoy. <laughs> um, so we, we, you know, we had a protest at the foreign ministry, and um, we had a banner that said, um, to, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And right away we got taken into uh, custody. And we spent 37 hours, 37 hours uh, in detention. Um, and it, it, it was interesting that um, the folks, the soldiers and the cops told us they agreed what we were doing. They liked what we were doing. Mm -hmm. But they said the high up, the higher ups are not allowing us to release you. So after 24 hours, um, I, I was able to get word to the to our Egyptian lawyers, <laughs> and they knew where we were after 24 hours, and we were able to get out. But it really showed um, it really showed that uh, the president of Egypt today is afraid um, afraid of being seen as someone who doesn't also support the intolerance of Israeli genocide. Mm -hmm. um, so we and you know we went to the um, the consulate, the U.S. consulate in Egypt. We got an appointment with them. It was a little hard, but our Egyptian lawyers got us in there. So we had a plan, but it was just to see the hypocrisy yes. of these consulate folks in the, in the United States. We were laying down all the things which that we know they knew, sure. the atrocities, the genocide that was going on, and they would just kind of just say, "Well, we wish we could do more." Yeah, and we sure. said, "Well, can't you help? Can't you get the convoy into uh, into Gaza? Can you help us with that? We I, we know you have leverage." He said, "Well, we don't really have that much leverage, but we we use our weapons to give leverage. Leverage. That's what they told us." <laughs> <laughs> we said, "Well, just take the weapons away, and maybe you'll have some leverage." This is just really the hypocrisy <laughs> that shows that they just keep this status quo of death. Yeah. Hmm. So when you spoke with those U.S. officials, how would you describe that meeting? I mean, you said hypocrisy, but but can you give us a little more details about what the articulated position was of the officials there in Cairo, the U.S. officials? Yeah, the, so the U.S. at the, at the consulate, they well, they said they 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 they're trying to get Israel. Um, to recognize, you know, the suffering in Gaza, and they're they're working on that. That's what they said. Um, you know, meanwhile they're shipping all the weapons and artillery there, uh, and they gave us gave us very little information. They listened to what we were saying, and and they said basically this is the one thing they were, were clear about was that they said they. Uh, well, we were, they were worried about the, um, the, the attack from Hamas on October 7th. They said it's the horrible attack of the Hamas. Mm -hmm. um, so one of our delegates, um, one of the people, members of, uh, he was Jewish, and he, he made sure to wear the Star of David when he went there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they always like to say we're, folks are anti-Semitic when you're against Zionism, but they're two different things. So he made clear about the Holocaust that was going on in Gaza right now. He said that, mm. and they didn't. They didn't. Dis they didn't say this was wrong or right. They just kind of just, just lowered their uh, lowered their heads a little yeah. bit. But that was. The, they said that they they're there to try to get their main thing is to get the American um, 
uh, folks out of Gaza. Mm. Yeah, well, the hypocrisy. Yeah, you're pointing out the the hypocrisy of the situation. On the one hand, oh, we uh, Biden says to Israel, oh, lighten up, lighten up. They're having a real, uh, you know, a real humanitarian crisis there. All the while, we're sh- shipping them more weapons, and and Biden wants the Congress to provide more billions and send them even more weapons so they can kill more people. Uh, right. The hypocrisy of it is pretty right. pretty amazing. But we got so doggone much we want to cover, John. So uh, l- let me let me ask you uh, so we can move along here and get to some of this other stuff. Uh, John, you're, you're employed, as I mentioned in your introduction, as coordinator of the Harriet Tubman Center for Social Justice in L.A. Uh, remind our listeners very briefly who Heli, uh, Harriet Tubman was and also what is the center's work uh, been doing lately here in Los Angeles. Well, yeah. Well, I'll give you a little one little thing. So, I don't know if everybody knows you know, California has got the highest, probably the, one of the highest minimum wage uh, in the state, in, mm-hmm. in the country. And there's a reason for that. Um, <laughs> in 2013, the Harriet Tubman Center, uh, uh, we presented a, a ballot initiative I wrote, um, uh, and it was approved by Los Angeles, and it said the $15 minimum wage would happen right away, immediately. Mm-hmm. That was back in 2014. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that, that push made Garcetti, the mayor Garcetti, and others want to give their own bill bill and that's why in 2022 we were finally able to get $15 but we would have rather done it before but anyway that the part of our work is putting pressure on the politicians uh, when they're not doing what they're supposed to do and try to use that pressure to do what's night and we've fought uh, we were trying to fight against the war on poverty uh, the war on the war against homeless, the war against health care that the U.S. is doing, and also the war, the international war against our siblings internationally. Mm. And we've done a lot of work with the SEIU, with Union, USCW, and especially with the grocery workers strike and other things. Um, and so we just continue to do this thing. And right now we kind of see this stopping massacres and genocide has got to be a priority. We can't ignore that. So a lot of our attention right now is, is, is building the solidarity with the people of Palestine. Excellent. Hmm. Well, John Parker, I believe you launched your campaign for Congress in the 37th, excuse me, congressional district, the day you got home from Egypt. Had you always planned to launch that day? Uh, we actually were thinking of, we were doing it, uh, thinking about it before. We took the we took the Egypt uh, trip, but it really motivated our with the anger, seeing the hypocrisy and the other things. It really motivated us uh, with the uh, the urgency of making sure. And this was shared with the other international guests that were there. All the international Germany, France, other places. They they all wanted to be there to expose their own imperialist countries in their complicity with the genocide. And so that's what, this is one thing we knew. If we go back to to L.A. and in the congressional district, there's another three folks who are running for the campaign. But we knew that, especially the incumbent, um, that, that they don't want to answer this question. It's embarrassing to be for a Holocaust. <laughs> and they don't want to answer the question but they're going to have to answer the question with with us running in this in this candidacy. You know, whether we get the debates or not, we're going to make sure we point the finger and say, why are you for the bombs that are bopping on children today? You know, every mm-hmm. day is happening. Can you will you say you want to stop that bomb that's about to hit hit a baby's head? Uh, so it's kind of a kind of a hard thing for them, but we want to make it as hard as possible to expose it, put pressure on Biden to call for a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. got to be a ceasefire. John, what is, are you running as an independent or under a party label in your run for the Congress? And what are what are the main planks of your platform? For example, is the U.S. government support for Israel? You've made that clear. That's part of what you're going to be talking about. Uh, so, what about this? And what other issues uh, have caused you to run for office? Do you do you think you you want to especially, you know, uh, spend a lot of time on? What are the big issues in this campaign, as you see it? Yeah. So I'm running on the ballot, like I. I 
I, I ran 22 the last three times in the Senate. Mm -hmm. The last time, I got 105,000 votes. I was happy about that. <laughs> this time, I'm running out for the con 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 Congress, but on Peace and Freedom Party ballot. Mm -hmm. um, and um, there's a lot of folks who want to get on the ballot uh, with Peace and Freedom, including Cornell West yes. um, and others. Um, so, But the one, the platform, you know, is number one, ceasefire right now in racism and police brutality. Um, fight for immigrant rights and gender oppression. We had, recently had an action in October. It's, 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 it's wild. It was on the same day, October 7th. <laughs> but there was a, um, an action in solidarity with trans youth in Florida to go against these fascist types of uh, laws that they have on, on, on trans folks there. So in, ending gender oppression is definitely another issue. E education, healthcare, housing, union jobs, and income for all. And we think the way to make it happen, because people say, well, how are you going to pay for all that? Well, just <laughs> go to the banks, go to the corporations. You know, they have the first thing you have to do in a budget is you have to pay the banks for the, de the, the debts <laughs> in L.A. They got to pay the banks off first. Why? Why? Pay the banks off. Let's use the money for what we need, not for the weapons. Hmm. Well, John, it's no secret that third-party candidacies don't fare very well in this country's two-party system, yeah. unfortunately. Do you realis realistically believe you can win the race you're in? And if not, what do you nevertheless hope to accomplish by running? Yeah, it's a funny thing. You, it takes money really to, to have a vote. Democracy means the more money you have, you can speak. There's a ballot initiative that we wanted to, we put in and that gets to a lot of people, all the voters. So it's important to have that. And now it costs $9,900 to have a ballot statement <laughs> for the congressional candidates. Isn't that something? <laughs> you don't have a voice unless you're rich, that kind of thing. Obviously it's very challenging, but, um, but, you know, it's, it's funny that the politics, Ford Foundation, Ford and the other uh, ruling class uh, mon monopolies, they don't want to give you money when you want to um, overthrow them. So I don't know. <laughs> so we're not getting the money. But that's okay. We, it's because sometimes the, if the words are relevant to the struggles that people are facing today here and, and, and internationally, then sometimes it'll get you more votes. It'll get you more attention. So I'm surprised in this campaign, in this race, that really there is a chance of going to November. You have to be one of the top two yeah, voters. Yeah. And that's actually a possibility now. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, and we're just going to keep on working to see see if we can make that happen. Another question I've been wanting like to ask you and I've you know I've known you for years. Um, um so I suspect I know the answer to this question but I'm not sure. <clears throat> um <clears throat> certainly when you're running for office you have an opportunity to educate and do all sorts of things. But um would you agree with me? Let me put it that way. Would you agree with me that that if you're talking about stopping wars or you're talking about ending uh, a systemic in uh you know racism and classism in this society, that uh, the main victories that have been won over the years in that regard, whether it was stopping wars or, or, or getting civil rights laws finally passed, that, oh, yes, it was something Congress finally did to end the war or to get it passed, but they ultimately only did that after massive peoples in the streets, the woman's right to choose and so forth, and massive movements, massive protests, often for years on a particular issue in the streets, uh, that that's what made it impossible, finally, <clears throat> although they didn't want to do it. Uh, they, corporate America didn't want to do it. The banks didn't want to do it. But they were sort of left with no choice if they were going to be able to continue to rule. Am I pie in the sky about that? What do you think? Yeah, that's really so. It's so obvious right now what's going on with the Democratic Party and Republican Party. The folks who even call themselves liberal are are going along with this with 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 the support, this blind support of Israel and the massacre. They had a bill that said if hate speech means if you're criticizing Zionism, then that's that's hate speech. And <laughs> all these folks in the Democratic, almost all of them, voted for that kind of thing. So it really shows that the movement. The only thing that's going to make change, possibly to make 
change, of systemic change is building the movement. And we can do that. We got the power from labor power. They can't make a dime without the, our labor power. We saw that in 2006 with the immigrant struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're also trying to build the understanding that these politicians and Democratic Republican politicians are ma- uh, they're they're there to to make us untol- an intolerable system of injustice um, uh, uh, a status quo. They they want to keep the status quo, and that's their job. Their job, the ruling class, the financial monopolies and industrial monopolies, they put them there to keep the thing running and not changing. And the only thing that's going to change is the people's force. And we, I'm hoping to help, we're hoping to help build a consciousness to say, don't tolerate a system of injustice. Mm-hmm. It's intolerable. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, John Parker, you've been doing this for a while. Um, what is it that keeps you going? If if you do have, if we do have listeners out there who are thinking, you know what, I've been in the struggle trying to find justice, and it just, you know, maybe people think it's getting worse. But how do you? Where do you find your inspiration to keep going and keep fighting? I got something kind of weird. I got my I got my inspiration a long time ago from apartheid going on in South Africa at high school and stuff. But um but recently I got my inspiration from a stroke. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, you know, we the day of April twentieth, I think it was, yeah. The day before April nineteenth we had uh delegates from Cuba speaking at the HTC about the about the need for health care and and all the things that they were doing and they said they would be willing to give doctors because there's a shortage of health care in South Central and we need help. Hmm. And they said they would give help. They would give those kinds of, and it's funny, the next day I had a stroke. Oh my goodness. And, but it took me three months to get a cardiologist and a neurologist. And you know, it's a short time. Hmm. Well, you may not survive from a stroke, but I survived. And one thing it made me say is uh, the lack of health care, especially from, uh, African-American stuff with health care and the lack of health care and stuff that's going on with black and brown communities. But I said, the, the struggle is not going to, these attacks are not going to stop us. It's not going to stop me. I'm going to do everything I need to do to make, to keep, keep running. And um, the, the, what South Africa did with the ICJ, ICJ is inspiring. I'm, I'm inspired by what the Palestinians are doing, the courage that they have. And so that that's very inspirational. I hope other people get inspirations from that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I'm also thinking running running for office as you well win win or lose. Uh, I don't know who the other candidates are, and that's not the point. But uh, any candidate who is running, uh, and I know in your case you, you you put it to good use, has an opportunity whether they win or not if they are an honest candidate if they're if they're more concerned with telling the truth and and telling sometimes some very awkward tr- uh, truths than they simply are in winning the job itself uh, gets an opportunity to educate. I mean, uh, people need to be reminded right now that. I mean, here, here, you know, Nancy Pelosi, that everybody is always so excited about in the liberal community, you know, is is calling for the FBI to investigate the pro-Palestinian movement in this country because it must be getting Russian money and Russian influence. And, and, and you know, and, and they've they, Congress has set up uh, hearings investigating uh, and threatening uh, uh, the jobs uh, and the, uh, the freedom of people who are in the streets on the pro-Palestinian side and so forth. So talk to us about that, that opportunity if somebody is an honest candidate, uh, whether you agree with them or not, to educate around their position, right? That's, that's right. And, they, you know, they, they, they always call folks the use of terrorism. Against, yes. uh, the people they don't like are they basically trying to say we're part of terrorism, we're helping terrorism, we're supporting Palestine. Mm. But they, all, they call, it's funny how unhealthy, which I forgot about, the health care issue, um, they call Cuba terrorist state. And they buy and refuse to take them off this terrorist list. And what they've been doing is sending aid and doctors all over the world. And, and that's why, that's the thing I, I forgot to mention, <laughs> that the fact of um, getting this health care, I, I didn't have to wait three months. If 
Cuba could send would send the doctors, and they would have done that, but they can't because they're listed as terrorists. <laughs> so that's part of the struggle that we have to continue to do that. And, and like, like I said, education, education is is, and it's funny too because you know, education. You always think that if you're in uh, one of the high Ivy League colleges or universities, or if you got this PhD or that then that person is going to be much smarter and they could, they're the ones that are going to help build. But it, it really happens when it's the people who are most targeted by uh, poverty or racism or anything. Those are the ones who, when you talk about the contradictions of society, they get that so quickly. Yes. And they get it because that's what they're dealing with. And it also means they know how to deal with it. They know how to fight it. But all three, if we just no. Okay. Let me. Whoop. No, no, that's good. No, that's good. <laughs> it's interesting. You're sort of fading away there as we're running. We've run out of time anyway. John Parker. I'm sorry. I'm no, no, sorry. no, no, no. You've been wonderful. I appreciate it. John Parker. Uh, yeah, we've just got a couple of minutes left. If people want to learn more about the Harriet Tubman Center, uh, I live right. I'm just a couple of blocks from the Harriet Tubman Center, uh, the one on Pico, anyway. If, if people want to learn more about it, um, what's the uh, email address? How, how might they go about doing that or maybe even volunteering okay. some help? Yeah. So the Harriet Tubman Center for Social Justice, you can reach us at, and for the campaign, the 323-306-6240. Um, and you can also come to the to HCC uh, at our campaign meetings at 5278 West Pico Boulevard. Did I say that right? 5278 West Pico Boulevard, and we have meetings every Saturday at 1 p.m. where we go and do the outreach. And yeah, and is there is there a, a, I'm sorry, is there a website as well people can be going to? Yes, you can go to. Um, uh, oh my goodness, vote vote for the number four. Yeah, vote for. What is it? Uh, what for socialism? Okay. Dot org. That's great. And what about the center for the Harry Tubman Center? Do they have a website as well? The website for we have the, uh, on Facebook. I got you. Uh, okay. HCC, All right. Harry Tubman Center for, on Facebook. But if you want to give them a call, friends, you can give them a call at three two three. The Harry Tubman think maybe they can help you. You you can help them. You can help your neighbors. Three two three, three zero six six two four zero. Well, John Parker, again, uh, my thanks to you for what you're doing, for your work over the years, for what you're doing now. Good luck to you in all of those regards. But we've got to say goodbye to you now because we've just, before the music right. before the music starts playing, this is Jim Lafferty and Maria Hall. We thank you if you've listened today. Hope you're staying healthy. We hope you're staying active because as the song's about to tell you, you got to do that and stand up for your rights, my friends. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up. Stand up for your rights. Get up, stand up. Don't give up the fight. Reach a man don't tell me heaven is on the dear. I know you don't know what life is really worth. It's a hard that Peter Hi, I'm Ashley Judd, and I believe that when we listen collectively, change happens. And I believe we should listen to girls and women. I believe that girls and women should speak for themselves, with and for each other, about their bodies, their rights, and their dreams. That's why I think woman-made media is so important, and why we all need to tune in to Feminist Magazine on KPFK. The Pacifica mission statement is to establish a foundation organized and operated exclusively for educational purposes to encourage and supply outlets for the creative skills and energies of the community to engage in any activity that shall contribute to a lasting understanding between nations and between the individuals of all nations, races, creeds, 
seeds in color to gather and disseminate information on the causes of conflict between any and all of such groups. To promote the study of political and economic problems and of the causes of religious, philosophical, and racial antagonisms. To promote the full distribution of public information to obtain access to sources of news not commonly brought together and to employ such varied sources in the public presentation of accurate, objective, comprehensive